Turn your Bibles, if you will, to First Thessalonians chapter 5. We're uh, teaching a series that we've entitled The Human Spirit uh, here on these Wednesday night services. And we're using First Thessalonians 5.23 as a, a beginning point, a text scripture. And we want to do so again this evening. Paul's writing by the Holy Ghost, and he said, In the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Another translation says, in, y- in your entirety. So he's talking about the entirety of man, the makeup of man. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly or entirely. And I pray, God, your whole or entire spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we've talked a little bit about uh, the human spirit. We've talked about, uh, uh, done a little bit of work in locating the spirit. Uh, mostly we've been contrasting the inner man versus the outer man the outward man. We've looked at uh, Luke chapter 16 a couple of different times where it tells us the story of uh, how the afterlife was set up when Jesus was here on the earth. At that point in time, it tells us about a rich man and Lazarus who both lived here on the earth and uh, and then died. And they went to two different compartments of uh, of Hades, hell literally. One was the place of the righteous dead, uh, the Old Testament saints that was called Abraham's bosom. The other place was the place of the unrighteous dead. And that's uh, what we know of as, uh, or what we commonly call hell. And um, uh, we see that uh, that both of those individuals, the only thing that seems to have changed is that their bodies have been put in the grave, because they're they're the eternal part of them, the real them, continues to live and continues to exist. We see that their spirit and their soul are intact. Their uh, their soul is uh, identified as uh, as being. Uh, in good working order, if that's a uh, um, um, good way to say that, by their thought process, their recognition, their cognitive abilities are in, in uh, uh, still intact. Uh, they they have feelings. Uh, the the story expresses the fact that the rich man was in torments and desired to to have Lazarus dip the tip of his water, uh, tip the dip the tip of his finger in water and cool his tongue, and uh, and there was uh, recognition. Uh, the rich man recognized Lazarus. He knew him here on the earth, and so he recognized him. And then he also must have known something about um, uh, <clears throat> the word of God being preached, the Old Testament law being preached, because he knew who Abraham was too. And so uh, we see that uh, that both the spirit and the soul are eternal. Now I want you to turn with me over to First Corinthians chapter two, because uh, <clears throat> we want to lay a little bit more foundation here. Really, where uh, where I'd like to get to with this is uh, is spend some time and 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 I've really uh, I think I said this when we started. <coughs> Excuse me. It's really on my heart to just take my time and and uh, rather than have a an outline or um, you know an end result that I'm going for, just take each individual service uh, as okay, Lord, what do you want us to do tonight? And uh, and tonight I felt like that uh, that the Holy Spirit wanted us to. To, uh, to spend most of our time in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and then some in chapter 3 and we'll make some other references there as well, uh, in, uh, the letter that Paul wrote, the first letter that Paul wrote to the Corinth. But, um, but Paul uses some different terms. He uses some different words and I think it would be helpful for us to, to understand what he's talking about so that we can, uh, get a better understanding of spiritual things. Let's start reading in, um, <clears throat> Oh, well, I could start in chapter 2, verse 1, really. Let's see. Um, let's start in verse 9. It says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. Now, stop and think about that for a minute. A lot of times we read over verses of Scripture uh, 
you know, quickly and, and don't take time to think about what's being said. And, and I'm tempted to do that here because this is not the real main point that I want to get to. But please notice he says that you can't even fathom the things that God has prepared for his people. The things that he's prepared for those that have made Jesus the Lord of their lives. And you can't know them unless the Holy Ghost shows you. Now, we could look at that in a general sense or we could look at that in a, spirit, uh, a specific sense. For example, generally, how would we know anything about heaven unless the Holy Ghost shows us? Who's been there to tell us about it? Paul said that he was caught up into heaven, the third heaven, and he heard things that he wasn't able to describe. So he's not going to be any good in telling us what it's about. How are we going to know anything about the afterlife? How are we going to know anything about heaven and what awaits us unless the Holy Ghost shows us? Man doesn't have access to heaven. Man doesn't have access to any of the things of God unless the Holy Ghost reveals them to him. I don't know if you know this or not, but you don't even have access into salvation except that the Holy Ghost drew you in. Now, he did that through your own spirit. He brought conviction. The Bible says the Holy Ghost brings conviction about one and only one thing in this earth, and that is that Jesus is the Christ. So when you and I hear the preaching of the word, originally heard the preaching of the word about Jesus being the Messiah, the Son of God come to the earth, there was something that the Holy Ghost did on the inside. He didn't do it to our minds. He didn't reveal it to our minds. Now, our minds had to be open. We could have shut things down. We could have, as a part of our soul, we could have determined that our will was, I don't want to hear this. I'm not willing to be one of these Christian nutcases. I don't care about this born-again stuff that they talk about. Forget it. I don't want to hear anything about it. And shut down completely. Closed ourselves off to the truth of the Word of God that was being preached. But the work that the Holy Ghost does is He does inside. He didn't make you understand everything. Show me anybody that understands it all when they get saved. Show me anybody that understands it all after they get saved. You can walk with God for a hundred years and still not have an understanding of it all of, of all of it. Isn't that true? If that were not true, then there would come a point where we would grow to the maximum potential as far as spiritual development and growth is concerned, and that'd be it. We'd just be perfect. And that's never going to happen for anybody. And thank God he doesn't have to wait for us to get perfect to use us. If that were the case, me and one or two other people would be about the only people he could use. <laughs> and I'm not too sure about the other two. Now, we feel like that sometimes, but thank God he can use us the way we are. Right? So he didn't show everything to you mentally. He didn't bring you understanding mentally that would cause you to, to know how it all works. Because even if you understand mentally that Jesus came to the earth and went to the cross and died for the sins of the world, how in the world are you going to understand this change, the supernatural, the miraculous change that takes place to become a new creature as soon as you make confess Jesus as your Lord? I still don't get that, folks. I still don't understand that. I believe what the Bible says about it. But you could ask me a lot of questions about that, and I'm just going to have to say, you know, I don't know. I just know the Bible says it. So it's not a mental comprehension that takes place. The conviction that takes place that brings us into the family of God, the revealing that the Holy Ghost does is on the inside. Now, we don't give any thought to that. We don't stop and and sit there when we're listening to Jesus being preached and analyze and say, now what is God doing in my spirit? No, it just seems like a natural, what I'm hearing is true. You just know on the inside. There's just a knowing. And that's something that we need to keep in mind when it comes to the revelation and the leading of the Holy Ghost. 
The Holy Ghost leads you by what you know, not by what you don't know. So many times people come with questions. Pastor Mike, what should I do? I just don't know what I should do. Well, if you don't know what you should do, you shouldn't be doing anything. Because God leads you by what you know. Thank you for your enthusiastic response. That's true, isn't it? What happens where we make mistakes is we don't know and we jump out because we think we're under a deadline. One of the things I learned to appreciate about Brother Hagin was one of the things that really ticked me off when I first got to know him. And that was he was the slowest person that has ever lived. He would not move until he was settled on something in the spirit. And boy, the rest of us, us young people, we, we were ready to go. Dad, we got to do this. You said, we heard you preach this. You said you needed to do something about this. We're ready. We've got it figured out. We're ready to go. He'd laugh, slap us on the back and say, oh, you boys just settle down. We think, come on. How long does it take you to hear from God? We heard last week. <laughs> but he wouldn't move. He just went slow as could be. And there were so many times that he went with what he had in his heart, finally what he got direction from God in his heart. And it was different from what we were leading him to do and what he had worked perfectly. And we looked at each other and said, boy, we're glad he didn't listen to us. So I has not seen nor has ear heard the things that God has prepared for them that love him. That doesn't just mean in heaven either. That means what belongs to you here on the earth. In other words, if you're ever going to know what God has for you and who Jesus has made you to be through his sacrifice, you're going to have to have it revealed to you by the Holy Ghost. Paul prayed this. Paul prayed for the Ephesians. That the eyes of their understanding, spiritual understanding, would be enlightened. That they would know what is the hope of his calling. How are they going to know it? What is he praying? I'm praying that you guys will get smart and finally figure it out. No. I'm praying that you'll receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the Holy Ghost, that you'll know. In other words, I'm praying that the Holy Ghost will reveal to you that you'd be strengthened with might by his spirit in your inner man. He's talking about spiritual things taking place. Now, you talk about these things in certain circles, and people will look at you like you're a nut. Because they're, they're used to somebody, you know, telling them, uh, you can do it. Let's praise a feel-good sermon, and everybody, you know, jump up and down and say, hallelujah, God's on our side. Well, he is on your side, but how is he going to be on your side? If you don't know how he reveals things to you, if you don't know what the work of the Holy Spirit is on the inside of us, how are we going to ever know? I has not seen neither his ear... Uh, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him, but God has revealed them unto us by spirit. Notice where God does reveal it. He reveals it by the Holy Spirit, but in your heart. Your inner man, the spirit of man. You know, one of the things Jesus said in, uh, in his uh, uh, last evening discourse with the disciples John chapter 14, 15, and 16, he talked about the Holy Ghost. One of the things he said about the Holy Ghost was that he would show you things to come. Now, we think about that in, in future context. We think about that as being, yeah, he'll show us the future. Well, thank God he can and sometimes does. But showing you things to come has more to do with the revelation of God in your spirit than it does see in the future. 
Because when Jesus said, show you things to come, he's not just talking about showing you the future in your own life. He's talking about things that will come as a result of his sacrifice and resurrection from the dead. In other words, he's talking about the things that the Holy Spirit will reveal to us. That your eye, that the human eye and the inhuman ear, neither the human mind could comprehend. Things of the Spirit that we can't get without the help of the Holy Ghost. I don't think we rely, I, I don't think we as Christians rely on the work of the Holy Ghost like we should. We just get accustomed to our mind taking hold and figuring things out and making our own way and don't rely on the, the revelation of the Holy Ghost who will always lead you into victory. Well, let's keep reading. But God has revealed him unto us by his spirit. Verse 10, for the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. The word search means to investigate. Notice the word of God says that the Holy Ghost reveals to your heart by investigating the things of God. Now, what does investigate mean? If you're going to investigate something, that means you're going to study something out. That means you're going to get to the heart of the matter. You're going to get to the root of the issue. You're going to take something, take a, an issue or or whatever it is. Maybe you'll hear a story from your kids. And, and one kid saying one thing, another kid saying the other thing. You have to search it out to find out what's really right. That's what the Bible says the Holy Ghost does for you when it comes to the things of God. Now, it's not that he doesn't know, so he's got to discover it. It's that you don't know, so he has to bring you through the searching process. You know, it's a very rare thing. Uh, I don't think it works this way with anybody. It doesn't work this way with me much. It's very rare for the Holy Ghost just to give me the end, the, the end statement or the end uh, result of something without taking me through the process so that I see the end for, the, for myself. I know a lot of times when it comes to the Word of God, it's very rare for the Holy Ghost just to say, you know, uh, in some kind of declarative fashion, bang, here it is, but he'll take me to this scripture. Have you ever noticed this? No, I never noticed that. And then he'll bring another scripture to my remembrance. Well, what about this? Here's how this ties into that. I think, well, yeah, and then that ties into this one over here. And before long, I've taken this little trail, and I come to the end result, and I got it through the investigative, investigative process. Not because God just bang, here it is. You know, it wouldn't do any good for God to tell me things to tell you without being able to prove it to you from the Bible. Would it? See, God wants you involved in this. He doesn't want to do the work for you. He wants to be your helper. Verse 11, for what man knoweth the things of a man save or except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. You know what that means? That means man can't know himself without the help of the Spirit of God. Now think about psychology and think about psychiatry. They're all trying to discover who man is and how he works. Well, without the help of the Holy Ghost, that's impossible. That's why in psychology or psychiatry, I'm not sure which one, one of them have come up with the idea that man has a subconscious mind. Well, if he does, that sure is news to God because he told us the entirety of man was that he was a spirit and had a soul and lived in a body. Where's the subconscious mind? There's no such thing as far as God's concerned. Well, what is psychology found? They found the spirit of man and have no clue what he is. For what man knoweth the things of a man? 
save or accept the spirit of man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God does. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might also know that we are the things that are freely given to us of God. Notice one of the reasons that God put his spirit in you is so you would know what he's given you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit revealing to your own heart. Again, he's not revealing it to your mind. We're not talking about accumulating a, 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 a list of facts. We're talking about a knowledge on the inside. We're talking about something that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know. And that can only come by the Holy Ghost. Verse 13, which things, the things freely given to us of God, which things also we speak. In other words, Paul is saying the Holy Ghost has shown me, so I'm telling you. Not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Notice what he's saying. He's saying the Holy Ghost has revealed the things that belong to us, or it revealed some of the things that belong to us and have been freely given to us of God. The Holy Ghost has revealed those things to me, and he wants me to reveal them to you, and he gives me the words to tell you. He helps me be the teacher. Really, he's the one that teaches. I was, uh, when I was working with Brother Hagen, there was a, a seminar that Lester Summerall was doing there at, uh, at the school. And uh, there were some other uh, guest ministers and famous preachers that had come in for the seminar, at least a couple of nights of it. And um, uh, this was after a morning service. He would teach in the mornings and then have uh, evening meetings. The morning meetings were primarily just the students. They were open to the public, but it was primarily the students that were there. And uh, so anyway, after one of the morning services, it was real good. I mean, just just really good. Whenever Brother Summerall would come, Brother Hagen would uh, to teach the students. Brother Hagen would say, now don't try to teach them. Tell them stories. Tell them how God used you. He said, we'll take care of the teaching. We'll take care of the doctrine. Don't waste your time on that. We'll take care of that. You tell them stories. So Lester would tell about how God used them, and it was just phenomenal. The Spirit of God just settled in on these services and so forth. And anyway, after one of the services, there was a group of these uh, famous preachers in the back that back room that were uh, um, about to leave to go to lunch and that kind of stuff. And one of them said uh, to Lester, uh, um, well, I sure enjoyed that teaching today, Brother Summerall. You're a great teacher. Lester puffed up like a toad frog. And he spoke in, in a voice that was designed, I think, to break the window. He said, I talk. The Holy Ghost teaches. And everybody grabbed their coat and left. <laughs> Nobody said another word. I like that. That really made an impression on me. He recognized what his job was. His job was to talk and let the Holy Ghost do the teaching through. That's what Paul's saying. And folks, that's what made Paul a good teacher. It wasn't Paul's sterling personality that caused people to be drawn to him. Paul writes to the Corinthians say, and saying, and says to them, I know what everybody says about me. They, says my le- they say my letters are strong, but then when I get there, I look weak. Paul looked to be the complete opposite of what his letters sound like he would be. But you can't deny the, 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 the Holy Ghost anointing upon what he was writing. Okay, verse uh, Verse 13. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches. Notice how the Holy Ghost teaches things, comparing spiritual with spiritual. Now, you know what that means, don't you? Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 63, he said, 
It's the spirit that give, that quickeneth. King James says the spirit quickens. The flesh profits nothing. Now the word quickeneth means to give or make alive. Give life or to make alive. Another translation, most translations read that way. It's the spirit that gives life. What, what does he mean? Is he talking about the Holy Spirit? He goes further and says it's the flesh profits nothing. He said the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and their life. So if it's the spirit that gives life and the words that he's speaking are spirit, then he's saying it's the words that give the life. So here where it's talking about the Holy Ghost teaches comparing spiritual with spiritual, he's talking about comparing the word with the word. Comparing scripture with scripture. Too many people out there are trying to make a doctrine off of one scripture or one story or one event or something like that. The Bible says in the mouth of two, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. You can't establish a doctrine without two or three scriptures to back it up. And that's what Paul is saying. He goes further. Now here's, here's really what I wanted to get to. I've used up most of my time already with just other stuff. Verse 14, but the natural man, but the natural man, he's just been talking about those to whom the Holy Spirit reveals things of God. Reveals in their spirit, reveals those things to their spirit. But now he says, but the natural man receives not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So he's saying a natural man has no spiritual discernment. Right? A natural man has no spiritual discernment. Therefore, he can't know the things of God. Notice it doesn't say he doesn't know them. It says neither can he know them. He's saying there's a qualification that must be met to even be able to hear from the Holy Ghost concerning the things freely given to us of God. But, verse 15, but he that is spiritual judges all things. Now, this word judge is the same word, investigate, that we looked at um, in verse 10, searches all things. Same root word. But he that is spiritual judges all things, investigates all things. In other words, the Holy Spirit that searches out all things and reveals them to the heart of the children of God that individual has the Holy Ghost to search out things for himself. He has the help and the aid of the Holy Spirit to search out the things of God for himself. And notice he says that a spiritual man does that. A spiritual man will judge or discern or, or investigate, search out all these things of God. The natural man can't do what the spiritual man is designed to do. Notice those two phrases, natural man and spiritual man. But he that is spiritual judges all things. He that is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now you know as well as I do that Paul didn't write the, this uh, letter in chapter and verse. He's talking about the same thing. He uses another term that I want you to see in chapter 3. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual. Well, the spiritual he's talking about is the verse uh, refers back to verse 15. He that is spiritual judges all things. I can't talk to you like you're spiritual people because you don't judge all things. You don't judge the word against the word. Now, what does that really mean? It means they haven't put the word first in their lives. He said, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people because you're not you don't have the right attitude uh, toward the word of God. You don't have the right priority for the word of God in your life. You haven't given yourself to understand the things of God. 
So I can't talk to you as spiritual men like I would like to. I can't tell you the things that the Holy Ghost really wants me to teach you in the depth or in the measure that he would want me to so that you could understand. Because you can't get it. You can't understand it. Folks, I don't know what this says to you, but it says to me that spiritual development is pretty important. It says to me that spiritual development is a, is a real key to understanding what belongs to you. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Now, he uses three terms, natural man, spiritual man, and carnal man. Natural man, spiritual man, and carnal man. What is he talking about? The natural man is the unsaved man. He's the man that's living according to his flesh because his spirit is dead. He says the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. What's the only thing that can make the difference between a natural man and unsaved man understanding the, the, the elementary things, the first step, the foundation steps, the baby steps of Christianity? The Holy Ghost drawing him. The conviction that comes through the hearing of Jesus preached. Remember Paul said, when I was among you, I didn't preach anything except Christ and him crucified. Why? Because they were natural men. To what end? That your faith might stand in the power of God and not in the wisdom of men. I didn't try to to wow you with some oratory skills. I just told you the things of Jesus, the things of God as revealed to us through the sacrifice of Jesus or brought to us, open to us through the sacrifice of Jesus so that the Holy Ghost could convict you and that you might receive him as your Savior. So the natural man is the unsaved man. He said he can't receive the things of God. Neither can he know them. He can't receive them. He can't know them. Without the help of the Holy Ghost, Jesus said this. He said, no man comes unto me except my Father draw it. That's what he's talking about, the convicting work of the Holy Ghost. And that takes place in the, in the heart or in the spirit of man. Next, he says that the spiritual man judges all things. In other words, the spiritual man has put the word first in his life. The spiritual man is discerning the word of God, understanding the word of God through other scriptures in the word of God. He goes through this searching, this investigative process as a part of his life because he's made the focal part, focal point of his life, learning and understanding and receiving the things of God through the Spirit. That's what a spiritual person does. Notice he doesn't say that a spiritual person prays an hour a day. Notice he doesn't say a spiritual person gives 30% of his income. Notice he doesn't say that a spiritual person goes witnessing every Friday evening. Now, those are all good things to do. But what makes you spiritual is your attitude toward your toward the Word of God and the way you conduct your life relative to the teaching of the Word, relative to the knowledge of the Word of God. That's what makes the difference between a spiritual person and somebody that's not spiritual. Now, the third category of people is he talks about these Corinthians are Christians. They're saved. So they're not natural men, but they're not spiritual either. They're carnal men. And he tells us what a carnal person is like. He said, that's like a baby Christian, even as unto babes in Christ. Now, one translation, several translations re- relate to something similar. But one translation says, I couldn't speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. In other words, as you are body ruled. Now, if man is spirit, he is a spirit, he has a soul, and he lives in a body. Paul is saying the carnal man is the Christian who still lives by his body. 
Now, what's the difference in a carnal person and a natural person? What's the difference in the carnal man and the, and the natural man? Only one thing, and that is the carnal man has made Jesus the Lord of his life. But from lifestyle, you can't tell the difference between the carnal man and the natural man. The carnal man, the baby in Christ, who is choosing not to put the word of God first in their life, in other words, their body rule because that's the focus and the, the decision that they've made in the manner in which they're going to live, his life looks like the natural man, looks like the unsaved man. And folks, I got to tell you, in my opinion, that's one reason why the church has such a poor witness in the world. How many times have we heard people say, well, why do I need to be a Christian? You're not living any different life than I am. That's not the way it ought to be. Paul makes uh, some uh, further statements about this. He said, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babies in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. It sounds like he's saying, I wish I could tell you a little bit more. But you haven't been able to take it up to this point, and you haven't grown any since the last time I talked to you. So I can't give you any more than I did. Verse 3, for you are yet carnal, again, body ruled. Now, notice what he says is the, is the proof that they're body ruled. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as mere men? Or one translation of the Amplified says mere men. I think the Amplified says mere, uh, and in parentheses, unchanged men. So he's talking about people that still live from an outward appearance. They're still living the life that the unsaved lives. They're carnal. They're strife, divisions, envyings, and so forth among them. And they're living a life that has not shown the evidence of eternal life or Jesus being the Lord of their life through the way that they live. Now, can any of you see God commending them for this? I mean, am I missing something in these scriptures? It seems like Paul is... If he's not reprimanding them, at least he's rebuking them a little bit, saying, you guys haven't grown a bit. And there's a lot more that I could tell you. There's a lot more of the things of God that you could receive if you'd put the word first, if you'd choose to be spiritual and give the word of God the place of priority in your life. But you're choosing not to. And you're living like natural, unsaved, unchanged men. Now, there's something I want you to see about this, and that is there are three things that Paul identifies in this letter to the Corinthians, three characteristics, three things that are that exist, three, uh, um, what word do I want to use, uh, three ways that they are living. Maybe that's a good way to say it. Three different ways that they are living that he identifies specifically that are a result of them being body ruled. And I want you to see what being body ruled is like for the Christian. What not choosing to put the word of God, not pursuing the word of God, not making wisdom, the wisdom of the word of God, your primary focus. Notice what it will produce in the lives of the church or the church people, Christians. Notice it says, first of all, it says there are envyings and strifes among them. He describes what those strifes and divisions are in verses 4 and 5. He said, for while one saith, I am of Paul, and another I am of Apollos, are you not yet carnal? Notice what he says. He says, 
finding celebrity ministers is a sign, an identifying slam dunk sign of being body ruled. Carnal instead of spiritual. And folks, I got a lot of experience with this. A lot of experience with this. Because people come into the church and, oh, they hear the word. And, oh, Pastor Mike, this is so, so, so good. I don't know where you've been. How long have your church been here? I've lived here for 50 years. Not that I ever knew about you. This is just the best thing in the world. Have you heard of Pastor so-and-so? Have you heard of this minister? Have you heard of that minister? And what they want to do is they want to bring in their favorite preacher. Like I'm supposed to be a follower of them, too. And it's not a matter of I, I, I listen to this person, I read after this person, I've got the materials that this person's ministry has put out. No, no, no. They follow him, so you have to too. You got a lot of that going on in the body of Christ. Nothing new. It used to be a big thing. You could always tell in, when um, uh, in Brother Hagin's crusades, when we'd go out in crusades, you could always tell when there would be Copeland people coming. They'd sit in a group. And they'd sit there with their arms folded like this. You could tell. You could read it. And it was like, yeah, well, what Brother Hagin's saying is good. It's a word. No question about that. But I just like Brother Copeland better. Well, that's okay. It doesn't matter who you like. But Paul is saying that the divisions that have been created by people's celebrity mentality when it comes to preachers is a result of them being body ruled. Now, he, he addresses this by saying, who is Apollos and who is Paul or who is Peter or anybody else? He says the only thing anybody, any minister has, they got from God, so, so nobody is anybody. And why should you look at anybody as being anybody? Now, folks, don't think that I'm saying that you shouldn't follow other people, that you shouldn't be blessed by other people's ministry. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Whoever God connects you with, that's great. That's wonderful. But don't try to connect everybody else to them, too. Had somebody come in. Joseph Prince is a big one now. Oh, Pastor Mike, have you ever heard of Joseph Prince? I heard of Joseph Prince before you ever knew about him. Oh, he's just the best preacher. He's the best teacher. He's just. We ought to do our church here just like they do there. Yeah, that's what I want to do, folks. I want to copy some other preacher. So that instead of you going to the original, you get the copy. What sense does that make? I had somebody say, oh, if I could move to Singapore, I'd go to Joseph Prince Church. Well, that's great. If God wants you to move to Singapore, move to Singapore. But God does not want to move Singapore here. Know that for a fact. See, everybody wants to change you. Everybody wants to change things to be what they think it should be. Now, isn't it interesting? And it never comes from other preachers. It's never other preachers that are trying to sway another minister or something. I've never had anybody say that, you know, I'm, I'm listening or following after this one, and so you should too, that kind of stuff. It always comes from the layman. It always comes from the congregation. Now, isn't it interesting that there's an idea, there's an attitude that somebody that's not called to the ministry is supposed to know better what the ministers are to do than the ones that God's called to do it. Isn't that interesting? Now, here's the issue, and, and I want you to see something, folks. This is the real issue. Proverbs 13.10. Anybody know what Proverbs 13.10 says? No takers? 
Okay, Proverbs 13.10 says this. Look it up if you want to. You need to be aware of this scripture. It says, only pride causes contention. Only pride causes contention. Now, what is their problem? Divisions, strife, divisions, contentions. So what is the real issue about being body ruled? Spiritual pride. And all three of these things, the ways that they're living, come down to spiritual pride in manifestation in some way or another. We're right there in chapter 3. Look over at chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Sexual immorality in the church. Now, what's what are they doing about it? Notice here's the attitude they've taken. Verse 2. And you are puffed up. Doesn't puffed up mean prideful? And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that has done this deed might be taken away from among you. In other words, he's saying you've taken a permissive attitude towards immorality in the church because of spiritual pride. So the first thing we see is that there's a celebrity mentality where ministry is concerned because of spiritual pride. The second thing is we see is sexual is uh, sexual permissiveness, if that's uh, a term we could use, because of spiritual pride. Turn with me over to chapter 11. Let's start reading in verse 17. It says, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. In other words, he's saying, because of what I'm going to tell you about now, you'd be better off staying home than coming to church. Now, I'm sure there's some Christians that would think that's the word of the Lord to them. Stay home and don't come to church anymore. But Paul is saying, because of the way you're handling things, you're not doing yourself any favor by coming to church. For first of all, when I come, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Again, it's the same thing as divisions. Only pride causes contention. So whatever he's going to tell them next is motivated and generated by pride. Again, folks, it doesn't say pride is one of the things that causes contentions or divisions in the church. It says it's the only thing. The only thing. So he says, I hear there's divisions among you when you come together. And I partly believe it. Don't want to, but I have to because I know you're carnal Christians. Verse 19, for that, for there must also be heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Now I want you to notice this. Stop and take, uh, take this part, this verse of scripture apart for a little bit. Notice what Paul is saying. He is not saying that God protects any and every wrong idea and attitude and doctrine from coming into the church. On the contrary. He said it's important, it's necessary for wrong doctrines to come through the church so that that which is right and true and stands the test of time can be seen by everybody. We don't think of things like that, do we? We think the job of protecting the church that the pastors are supposed to do, that the Holy Ghost helps him to do, is to keep anything that's wrong from being in the church. That's not my job. My job is to tell you the truth Preach the truth and show you the truth from the word of God with the help of the Holy Ghost so that you're able to see the difference between what's right and what's wrong. Because it's your responsibility to be spiritual enough to judge things according to the word. It's not up to me to judge things for you. Now, that's what spiritual people do. Now, not everybody wants to be spiritual. I get that. 
the majority of people won't choose that. But it's still your responsibility. So he says, there must also be heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Here's the issue that's taking place. Verse 20, when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before another his own supper. One is hungry and another is drunken. What, have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise you the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So simply what he, very simply what he's saying is this. He's saying, you guys are coming together and treating the Lord's Supper like it's some kind of church dinner. And the pride that's created the divisions among you, the spiritual pride that you're operating in causes you to look down on other people and serve yourself first. Some of you are getting drunk during the Lord's Supper and others don't even have anything to partake of. So the real issue is their attitude toward other believers. The real issue is that spiritual pride has caused them to think of themselves as greater than or above others in the church. But notice how it manifests. It manifests into a wrong idea, a wrong attitude toward drunkenness. Now, you don't see any of those things in the church today, do you? The celebrity ministry mentality? Sexual permissiveness? Wrong attitude toward other people resulting in a wrong attitude toward drunkenness or drinking? No, we wouldn't have anything like that. But that happened in their day. And notice the source of it all is being carnal Christians, body-ruled Christians. Notice how being body-ruled manifests. I'm, I'm firmly convinced, folks, that the worst sin possible is spiritual pride. Because spiritual pride will bring you into a place of being deceived that you don't even know that it's you that's a problem. No clue whatsoever. Now, what does Paul do? In each of these situations, he's trying to fix them. He tells them to put the word first. He tells them about the situation with the fornication. He said, if you guys aren't going to do deal with it, then I will. Next time you're gathered together, I'm praying. I've already tangled this thing in the spirit. I'm tur- I've turned this guy over to the Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, some people look at that casually and without examining and say, well, look, at God's going to destroy this guy. Nope. It said, Paul said that he turned him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Notice where the destruction of the flesh comes from. Not from God, but from Satan. Notice the purpose for him turning the guy over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That implies that you could live wrong, live a wrong lifestyle to such a degree that it could affect your spiritual condition and cause you to lose your salvation. Paul's saying it's better for the guy's life to be cut short so that he spends eternity in heaven with Jesus. Now, what do we hear in the body of Christ now, nowadays? What's the one issue that people are talking about? Well, you're not in any position to judge me. That's always a result of spiritual pride. Always. It is the number one 
church killer. Now, folks, if you think I'm trying to correct something that's going on in the church, I'm not. I don't have anything to, to, to complain about. I'm not trying to, to get something across to somebody that's doing something. That's not the point at all. What I want you to see is the importance of not being body ruled. I want you to see the importance of recognizing that you are a spirit being. That you have a soul and you live in a body. But you can't let your body rule. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 7. Let's conclude with this. Romans chapter 7. Paul understood what it was to be body ruled. He understood what it was to be in bondage to what his body wanted to do. Romans chapter 7. Let's start reading. uh, Hmm. Start in verse 14, Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Paul said, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. He goes through a a good deal of uh, uh, teaching previously to say that there's nothing wrong with the law. Just because the law couldn't be kept doesn't mean the error was with the law. The error was with us. We could not keep the law. And the law was given for that specific purpose to show you you couldn't do it on your own. So that's the conclusion that he draws. He says, for we know that the law was spiritual. It was given by God. It had to be. Had to be spiritual, had to be perfect. Then nobody could keep it, but that doesn't change the fact that the law was perfect. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now, this is the same word carnal. He means body ruled. I've been made a, a slave to my body. Not because I wanted to be that way, because I don't have the ability to change. Or at least he didn't know that he had the ability. Verse 15, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I would not, or that I do not, but what I hate, that I do. That's King James English, pretty confusing way of saying, because I keep finding myself doing the things that I don't want to do. Now, he's already tapped into the difference between him, I, the real man on the inside, and the body that works from the outside. He says, I don't want to do the things my body is doing. The real me doesn't want to do it, but my body keeps taking control. So I'm body ruled, right? I'm carnal, sold under sin. I'm body ruled. If I, if then, verse 16, if then I do that which I would not or don't want to do, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that doeth it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Notice the distinction he's making. Here's the way that Paul, here's the, the searching or the investigating, because Paul was willing to put the word of God first. Here's the process that the Holy Ghost took him through to overcome the sin in his flesh. Here's how Paul became more than a conqueror. Here's how he became an overcomer became a spiritual man instead of a carnal man. Now, he he certainly conquered these things long before he writes them to the church. But he's going back and saying, this was the progression. This was the way that I learned. You can learn from my example and make the same changes in your life that I made in mine. He says, "I, I came to the understanding. The first realization he had, the first thing the Holy Ghost revealed to him is that he, the real him, was not the result of his body's actions. It's not me that's doing it. Paul talked a lot about the inward man and the outward man. He's saying the outward man was controlling me. The inward man wanted to do differently, but couldn't find the power to do it. But the outward man, the actions of the outward man didn't mean that the inward man consented to it. I wanted to do differently than what my body was doing. In other words, Paul is saying, 
that the knowledge of being a spirit being someone who is a spirit and has a soul and lives in a body was key for him to learning to walk in righteousness. There's no way you can know that unless the Holy Ghost reveals it to you. Right? It's the only way you're ever going to learn how to overcome or how to walk in victory in any area, and that is for the Holy Ghost to lead you there. How's he going to lead you? To the Word. This is where Paul got some of the doctrine that he taught the church. Now that it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh. Notice he won't even call his flesh him. It's almost like he slips up. He said, for I know that in me, I'm talking about my flesh now, not me, not the real me. That is in my flesh dwells no good thing. For the will is present with me. In other words, I want to do right. My will is to do the right thing. But how to perform that which is good, I haven't found yet. In other words, he didn't find that. He wasn't aware of that before the Holy Ghost revealed it to him. For the good that I would, the good that I, the man on the inside, wants to do, I don't do that. I don't wind up doing those things. But the evil which I, the man on the inside, doesn't want to do, that's the stuff I catch myself doing. Now, folks, I'm not asking you to raise your hand and and acknowledge this, but how many of us have found ourselves in that boat? We keep stumbling over the same thing again and again and again and again and again. That's what Paul is saying exactly here. He's saying, I don't want to do it. If you wanted to do it, if you wanted to keep stumbling and falling over sin, you wouldn't feel guilty about having done so. It's the man on the inside. It's your conscience, the voice of your spirit that says, why do you keep doing this? You should live better than this. You should live up to who you are in Christ instead of stumbling over this same sin over and over and over and over again. But if you don't know how to do it, if you don't know how to perform that which you on the inside want to do, what are you going to do? That's the dilemma that Paul had. And notice how the Holy Ghost taught him. He taught him to separate himself, the real him, as a spirit being from the actions of his flesh. We see, um, Paul said uh, uh, in one place, he said, henceforth we know no man after the flesh. Stop and think about what he's saying. We look at how other people do. We see where people slip up. We see the mistakes that they make. We see where they don't walk in love and they get short with somebody or whatever. And we look at them and we judge them as having done the wrong thing. When Paul is saying the whole time, he's saying, if I'm in that boat and you're seeing me, that's not the real me that's doing that. When we learn not only to see ourselves as spirit beings, but see other Christians and other believers as spirit beings, we start cutting them a whole lot more slack. becomes a whole lot easier to walk in love toward one another because everybody makes dumb mistakes. Doesn't mean we're a bad guy. You know what I found? I found, I know there's controversy in the body of Christ and and some of it is over uh, uh, some of the grace teaching. I know there's controversy in the body of Christ about whether or not we're supposed to confess our sins when we miss it and stuff like that. You know, the only people that I've ever found that are unwilling to confess where they make mistakes and, and, uh, and do the wrong thing. Those people that refuse to acknowledge their own mistakes are the ones that have not yet determined. Or maybe, let me say it this way. They're people that think that what they've done makes them into a bad person. 
But if you come to the realization that I did a dumb thing, but that's not who I am, then it's easy to acknowledge your mistake. You do that in a relationship, your husband-wife relationship. You don't lose if you do a dumb thing and, and own up to it. You don't lose your wife's respect. You gain her respect. Don't you? And vice versa. Of course, wives never miss it, so it's hypothetical. But it's true, isn't it? We respect somebody. The people we don't respect are the people that act like they know it all and never mess up. But it enhances our relationship. It shows that we're in a mature relationship rather than just being kids and in, in denial about everything in life. When you acknowledge your mistake before God, realizing I didn't do that from the inside, but my flesh tripped me up again, it enhances your relationship and the maturity of your relationship with God. It's not some terrible thing where you're confessing that you're a bad person. Paul, the first revelation he got to overcome and walk in victory in his life was to understand the distinction, the difference between the man on the inside and the flesh that's doing the wrong thing. The man on the inside always wants to be right. When you realize that no mistake you ever make is because you sinned or failed spiritually. But we just get tripped up by our flesh. So he concludes this in verse 20. He said, now, if I do that, which I don't want to do, it's no more I that does it, but it's sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. In other words, he's saying every time my spirit wants to make a decision for good and for right and for righteousness, he said, sin is always there. In other words, you're never going to get rid of the sin in your flesh. doesn't mean you can't overcome it. It means it'll never go away until Jesus comes back for us then we get a redeemed body and there's no sin present in our bodies ever again. Notice Paul concludes in verse 22. He says, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Notice what he says. It's the inward man. It's the spirit of man. That's the one that wants to keep the word. The outward man, not so much. How many times have we made commitments from the inside? Lord, we're going to get up early tomorrow and we're going to study the word. We're going to pray. We're going to spend time with you. And then the alarm comes along and your body somehow slaps it. Right? We we determine, okay, Lord, I'm going to fast lunch. Well, by 1130, we are starving. And our body talks us into eating. Well, I'm going to eat today. I'll start tomorrow. After about the third or fourth day where you keep eating lunch, and boy, they are the most important lunches you've ever had in your life, then you just give up on it and count it as a bad job and say, oh, I'm just unworthy, unspiritual. Forgive me, Father. I'm a terrible person. Well, it doesn't mean that at all. It means from the inside you wanted to do the right thing, but your body pulled you into what was wrong. Your body pulled you away from the decision you made spiritually. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members. He's talking about in his body, the outward man. I see another law working in my body, warring against the law of my mind. Now, folks, where he talks about mind here, he's talking about the contrast or the difference between the inner inward man and the outward man. He says it's the outward man that pulls me into sin. The inward man wants to do the right thing. But it's interesting to me that the Holy Ghost uses a word that's correctly translated mind because he's talking about, I believe, you judge this for yourself, but I believe Paul is saying, I've learned that my spirit always wants to do the right thing. My body always wants to do the wrong thing. The bridge is my mind, the soul. 
And that's where the war is taking place. The war is not taking place on the inside in my spirit. My spirit always wants to do the right thing. My body can't talk my spirit into doing the wrong thing. My spirit is always right and perfect before God. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Become all, all things have become new. What things? Spiritually. You don't sin from your spirit. That's the process of investigation that the Holy Ghost has taken Paul into. He said, with my body, or with my, my spirit rather, I delight after the law of God in my inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. What does he mean, the law of his mind? Another translation says, warring against what my conscience tells me to do. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. In other words, he's saying there's something about my soul. There's something about the bridge between my spirit, the inward man, and the outward man, my body. There's something about that bridge. That's where the issue is. Not with me, the real me. It's in my soul. I keep losing the battle to my body because of what's going on, the battle that's raging in my mind. Now, the mind is the eternal part of man. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the mind is part of his flesh. No, the mind is part of the the eternal part of man. It's part of the soul. And as a result, he's saying the answer is in doing something about my soul. That's where the battle is raging. There's no battle in my body. It always wants to do wrong. There's no battle in my spirit. It always wants to do right. The problem is in the bridge, the connector part of man, which is the soul. That's where the battle is. I see another law warring against my mind or law in my members warring against my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? In other words, he's saying, I've got to get help in my soul if anything is going to take place. Who's going to help me with that? Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, can I ask you a question? What's Jesus going to do for him? He's saying the answer is in Jesus, but how? Jesus going to come back to the earth, hang on the cross a little bit longer so that Paul can win? So that Paul can gain the victory? What's Jesus going to do? Is he going to give Paul something special because he's missing or lacking in something? The Bible says Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. That means his work's done. What's he going to do? That's what's so amazing to me is so many people will come up and say, Pastor Mike, pray for me. I need God to do something. And I think, what do you think he's going to do? He's already blessed you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The answer is to believe in what Jesus has already done, not to try to get Jesus to do something that he never did before. How's he going to help? Have people that say, I need you to pray and agree with me that God will speak to me. Okay. What are you looking for? Well, a voice from heaven would be nice. Wouldn't it be for all of us? Face a decision. Go to the right and not to the left. Thanks, Lord. If he's going to speak to you, he's going to speak to you in your spirit. In other words, you're going to have to develop a sensitivity of spirit so you can hear the voice of God because he speaks on the inside of you. That's too much work for a lot of people. You get people trying to put out fleeces like Gideon did in the Old Testament. And fleeces are always about circumstance. Well, Lord, if you want me to do this, then open this door. And if you don't want me to do this, then you just close that door. 
Well, the door you're asking to be opened or closed is in this natural realm where Satan is the God of. Can't Satan open doors too? So if the door opens or shuts, whatever your fleece happens to be, how do you know it was God that did it? But what happens is so many Christians live by natural circumstance and they're looking for God to do something to speak to them through circumstance. And when the circumstance works out according to what they thought or wanted or whatever, then they do it and it doesn't work out. And then they say, I don't know why God let this happen. Well, God didn't let it happen. You're the one that's looking for God to speak to you in a way that he doesn't, that the Bible says he doesn't speak. And the church is in such a mess wondering, does God ever talk to us? Yeah, the way that he said that he would but only the way he said he would. So what's Jesus going to do to deliver Paul? What's the answer for Paul's situation? What's the answer for Paul to overcome the sin that's uh, that's present in his flesh? Now, I don't know where Paul was in his Christian life. We know a little bit about Paul when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. We know that he stayed in uh, Damascus for a little while, left after that, and then went to Arabia for a period of time. I don't know at what point in time he's talking about here that he describes. It would seem to be early on, but how early, I don't know. But it was a part of his spiritual development, just like it's a part of yours and mine. And he received the information by the revelation of the Holy Ghost. So he says, I found my answer, my answer to be delivered from the body of this death, the sin that's in my flesh or my members. He says, I thank God the answer is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But how? So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. He's saying, I found the answer. The answer is I'm going to have to do something about my mind relative to God's word. Because my flesh is always going to want to serve sin. That's why I turn with me over to Romans chapter 12. That's why he gives instruction to the church about what to do that he did. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Notice he doesn't call you your body. He doesn't say you present yourselves. He says your body is your possession. It's the house you live in. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Most translations say spiritual worship. In other words, Paul is saying, I found that the key for me is the same key for you. It's the same way God leads us all. And that is for you to do something about your body. So in other words, back to chapter uh, 7, he says the answer to be delivered from the body of this death, the body that wants to serve sin, the answer is in Jesus, but that involves me presenting my body a living sacrifice. I, the man on the inside, I'm going to have to do something about my body. Now, you hear people say all kinds of things. You hear people talking about dying out to self. Well, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. One translation says if any man be in Christ, he's a new self. The new self is the spirit. You don't want to die out to that. Now, folks, I understand. Let me, let me, uh, let me make you aware of something real, real quickly up front. I cannot in any way relate to all the buzzwords that people are using in the church today. 
And as a result, I know a lot of people will look at the way I say things and hear the way I say things, and they just can't relate because I'm not cool, I'm not hip, I don't come up with the moment stuff and and whatever else that's taking place in the body of Christ and the buzzwords that everybody uses. I learned that part of putting the word first in my life is to say things the way the Bible says them because otherwise you get confused. It's a part of putting the word first in your life. Now, I understand that's going to throw some people off. I understand that turns some people off. I understand not everybody wants that. And some people will go away to whatever they think is cool or hip or whatever. I've always been intrigued by people advertising their church as dynamic ministry. What in the heck is that? I'm just going to stick with what the Bible says the way the Bible says it. And so you hear all kinds of things in the body of Christ. You hear all kinds of things like dying out to self and so forth. Well, what they're really trying to say is that what they really mean, if they're being scriptural at all, is they mean crucifying the flesh. And that's what Paul is saying right here. He's saying present your body. In other words, crucify your flesh. You know the problem with the sacrifice? It's supposed to die. You, on the other hand, are to present your body as a living sacrifice. holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, hardly anything in the present-day church identifies what you do about your body to bring it in subjection and bring it in line with the Word of God as being anything related to spiritual worship. You can find spiritual worship defined in the present-day church in all kinds of ways. Most of it has to do with the songs we sing or the way we sing them or the lighting we have while we sing them or what, I don't know, whatever. I'm sorry, I just can't keep up. Don't really want to. Paul, however, inspired by the Holy Ghost, said that spiritual worship is what you do with your body. Now, isn't that the whole issue that he's talking about in chapter 7? Isn't he saying, I want to do right by my body from the inside, the man on the inside? He wants to do right by my body, but I can't find the strength to do that. My body keeps doing the things that the man on the inside resents. The things that my body does, the man on the inside never consents to. And that's where he comes to who's going to deliver me from this issue. How is he going to present his body a living sacrifice? Notice what he found. He found the key was in Jesus helping him. Here's how Jesus helped deliver him and brought him into a place where he could, by experience, Show them an example. I presented my body a living sacrifice. I keep my body under lest after I preach to others, I myself might be a castaway. I learned to control my body. How did you learn to do that, Paul? Verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the mind that he talked about where the war was taking place in chapter 7. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. In other words, determined by experience what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you know what the perfect will of God that he's talking about here in context is? The presenting of your body is a living sacrifice. That applies to a whole lot more than that too. You can find out the will of God in, in any and every area of your life by renewing your mind to the word. But stop and think about what he's saying. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. We become new creatures. We become a new species of being. We become a new self. Our spirits are recreated in the image of God. They're restored to a place of fellowship with God that hasn't been, had, was not seen since Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden. But that eternal life that we have now 
John said, we know that we pass from death to life. He didn't say we're going to pass from death to life. He said, we know that we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. He said that eternal life has had absolutely no effect on the bodies or the minds, meaning the soul of the Christian, unless the, unless the individual does something about it themselves. That's an astounding fact. Because most people have the idea that when you give your life to Jesus, he makes everything the way that he wants it to be. And that's totally contrary to what the Bible teaches. It says that eternal life is imparted to your spirit and it has absolutely no effect upon your body. It has absolutely no effect upon your mind until you do something about it. James wrote to the church and talked about receiving the, with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Wait a minute. He's writing to Christians and he's saying their souls are not saved. Yeah. Their spirits have been made new, but their souls haven't been affected. And unless they receive the word and renew their mind to the word, just like Paul is writing to the, to the Romans, unless they renew their mind to the word, become spiritual by judging the word against the word, making it a priority in their lives, it'll never change their soul, and so they'll never walk in victory. Psalm 23 is a a psalm that depicts the day that we live in now. Psalm 22 is Jesus on the cross. Psalm 24 is Jesus in the millennium. Uh, And um, uh, Psalm 23 is Jesus in the church. The Lord is my shepherd. He's our shepherd now. I shall not want. Notice one of the things that the Bible says that he does is he restores our soul. Now, that doesn't mean that we're made new. That doesn't mean we become new creatures in Christ Jesus. That had to take place for him to be our shepherd. He's saying after we're born into the family of God, after we come into the family of God and Jesus becomes our shepherd, he said part of the work that he'll do is restore our souls. How does he do that? Through the word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Folks, it comes down to this. It comes down to a spiritual person. If you're going to be a spiritual person, you're going to have to make the word of God your priority no matter what. Jesus said, uh, I think we quoted this earlier, John 6:63. He said, the spirit quickeneth or gives life, makes alive. The flesh profits nothing. Think about what that means. That means that a body-ruled Christian that gives you advice is giving you advice that's worthless. See where it says in 2 Corinthians uh, 2.15, a spiritual man judges all things. It's important for you to judge somebody's life from the standpoint of whether or not they are a spiritual person or a carnal person to know whether or not you need to listen to them and let them have any influence in your life. We don't usually think of things like that, do we? We just think that somebody's, somebody's a Christian, and so since they love God, then they would want the best for us. And so many times people listen to the advice of carnal Christians, and they're giving fleshly advice that profits them nothing. can create a problem that's worse than what they started with if they're not careful. Why should I listen to somebody? Why should you listen to somebody that's operating according to the, the that's living their life as a body-ruled believer? What have they got to tell you that's going to help you? He that is spiritual judges all things. It's time for us to to be spiritual people in the church. 
And it's a simple thing to do. Just renew your mind to the word. Just renew your mind to the word. Well, I've talked too long. Sorry, went over. Don't really have a quit place here. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is spirit and life. It's the only thing that can feed, develop, and fit our spirits. It's the only thing that can divide between spirit and soul. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the wisdom that comes from putting your word first. Thank you, Father, that your word is a light to our path. The entrance of your words give light. It enlightens our way and gives direction to us. Thank you, Father, for your precious holy written word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding us. Thank you for revealing to us the things that are freely given to us of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We trust in you, Holy Spirit, to show us things to come. Reveal to us. Reveal to our spirits. Through the spirit of wisdom and revelation, reveal who we are and God's plan for our lives and the power that he's placed on the inside of us. Help us, Father, to live up to being spiritual men and women so that we can help others, give them guidance according to the word of God, bring deliverance to captives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Sorry for going late.